And when you think about uh, Peter, you know, some say he was in his 20s, early 20s, when he followed Christ. And, you know, there's differences of thought about the ages of the disciples. But we keep in mind that Jesus was uh, 30, 33-ish when he laid his life down. So that's a young man. That's a young man, right? How many know that that's, that's interesting, that Jesus would come and he would grow to that point, develop to that point, and at that age, uh, he would give his life for our redemption. And so when we think about Peter, we think about the fact that God was raising Peter up to be the voice of the early church, When you read the book of Acts, for the first half of Acts, Peter is the predominant figure both in in what happens in the church and what is spoken. Peter is the predominant voice. And that didn't happen by coincidence. This was the product of transformation. You know, the fact that Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and was the spokesman for what was taking place. You know, Peter had, had not too many days prior had denied Christ, right? He had denied Jesus. But I give him tremendous credit in the sense that he followed at a distance so that he could see what the outcome would be. His, I'm sure Peter was distraught and devastated, and he loved Jesus with all of his heart. But there are times when our, our lack of courage betrays us. Even when we intend well, even when we truly love someone or something, we may fall short, and Peter did. But Peter was a unique man. Uh, He was a man to me. He would be, of all of those disciples that followed Jesus, he would be the one that I would be most interested in, in walking with. Because Peter was just a dynamic personality. There was nothing about him that was, uh, you know, wishy-washy. Yes, he denied Christ, but Peter, he, you know, I give him credit. He was the one, uh, even though he was misinformed, and we're going to talk about this, or misdirected, he's the one who stood up in defense of the Lord when they came at him with swords and staves, and he lopped off Malchus's ear. You know, you know, you say, well, that, he shouldn't have done that, but it didn't matter. Jesus was there. He's going to put it back on anyhow. He did, right? But Peter was the man who said, you know, hey, Jesus, if that's you out there, I want to be the one. I want to come out there where you're at. You know, there's something about people who have a zeal that once that zeal is, uh, is brought into, uh, it's brought under the influence of the Holy Spirit, it becomes directed and powerful. And you know, the Peter that uh, denied Christ and, and, and suffered anguish as a result of that was now the man whom God had, had met with the Holy Spirit. And when God meets you with the Holy Spirit, it changes the essence of who you are. The Holy Spirit changes your, your spiritual DNA. Amen? You believe that? It changes. There's something dynamic that changes you know, in a supernatural way about who you are. How many would be excited to experience that kind of transformation in your life? I mean, exciting to live that kind of transformational experience that Peter lived. And so when we look at it, he spoke on the day of Pentecost. 
uh, in Acts 2. We see in Acts 3, he preaches at the temple following the healing of the lame man. Remember, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. You know, Peter, went, went, after he received the Holy Spirit, and I believe this about Peter. If what I see in the Scriptures is true, that Peter would have been the first in line to receive the Holy Spirit on that day of Pentecost. He would have been the first. I mean, it goes with his nature because of his impulse, his heart, his zeal, his desire. I imagine Peter coming off a horrific defeat in his spirit, having denied Christ, was hungering for something that would take him beyond his failure. And Peter, I believe, and you know what, you, you know, I just see it consistently. You know, it's interesting that anywhere Peter is named in a list, he's always first. He's always first. You know, you can look it up, but he's always first. You know, his brother Andrew was the one who brought Simon Peter to Jesus. But, you know, we know more about Peter than we do Andrew. Peter, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, right? When you think about that, this is a man who was not content in setting back and being just being there. He always wanted to have that deeper experience, that deeper revelation of who Christ was. And we need people who hunger for God like that. Come on, church. We don't need to have church today as much as we need to have a a visitation of God in our lives. Because really, you could have church in your garage. You could have church in your backyard. You could have church down at the roller rink. Because God owns them all. His presence presides. You know, somewhere over in uh, Slovakia today, there are people who uh, have uh, met out in fields and buildings and shacks and have had church that would make a lot of what we do here look pale. It looked pale. No chandeliers hanging, no, light, no, no big arenas. to. But I'm telling you, Holy Spirit visitation that changes a group of people from the inside out. And Peter was transformed, and he became a preaching machine. You know, this is a man who hid, right? And, and now he is a man who is a preaching machine. He is anointed by God. He was not a perfect man because people will be quick to point to the dispute that arose because of his treatment, treatment of the Gentiles and how Paul confronted him and called him out on it. You know, that's the beauty of this whole thing. The church isn't made up of perfect people. But I'll take a group of imperfect, Holy Spirit-filled people over any group in the planet. Because, you know, it's not about the warts. It's about the glory of God. Because we all have our issues. And yet, God does something that takes us beyond that. The Bible says in Acts 4, uh, I think it's uh, 4.8... It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you say that with me? 
Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I love that. You know, everything, the Bible says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth out of the mouth of God. So this is not an incidental statement. It's, it's something that's significant to preface what would happen thereafter. He says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, they recognized Peter for one thing, not because he was an educated man, but because he had been with Jesus. And the thing that will sell this gospel more than anything else to the world, above all of the other things that we think might uh, help us to reach the world, is this one fact that if the world knows that you walk with Jesus, they're going to see something that will introduce them to someone greater than their circumstances and greater than their lives. You know, so then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if this day we are judged uh, for a good deed done to a helpless man. Remember, they told him, stop preaching. You know, uh, we have this idea that when when God moves, everybody's going to be happy. That can't possibly be true because the devil's not happy. And if the devil's not happy, and he's the God of this age who has blinded the minds of those who don't believe, you understand there's going to be some unhappiness because there's a disturbance in the spiritual realm, right? How many know when God truly moves, and you say, well, we're getting all kind of weird on us, but let me tell you, how many know you're born again because you had a spiritual experience? How many of you know when you leave this world to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord? Because the real you is not this. It's not this. You know, that's who, you, uh, that's who people see you to be. But it is the soul and the spirit. It's the soul transformed by his spirit brought into alignment with the pursuits of a spirit that has been raised up in Christ. That makes This is a spiritual thing. Don't ever let somebody lead you to believe that this is just something that we can practically advance on our own because I'm going to tell you uh, that's not true. You can't build God's church. I don't care how talented you are. I don't care what your giftings are. I don't care about any of that kind of thing. As we sung this morning, not by might, not by power, but what? By the Spirit of God. And so it makes sense if it's the Spirit of the Lord who's going to make and to build and to construct what only He can do, then we need to be in partnership with Him. And we need to get out of the way whenever He says, move over. I got this. So Peter experienced that kind of baptism. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, God wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that God wants you and I to be filled, not only for a measure, but to the overflow of the Holy Spirit? See, we've gotten a little trendy in the way we do church, and it's not as fashionable to talk about this stuff anymore because we've got a way of doing things. But I want to tell you, it's not the way Peter did things before Pentecost. It was the way that God did things through Peter after Pentecost. It was the, it was the man who had been transformed by the introduction of the Holy Spirit in his life. And it's going to be not who you and I are outside of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be who you and I allow the Holy Spirit to use in this world. And the, the fact that, that the message 
carried a new anointing. You know, Peter speaks, and there's no fear in this man. There's no fear as he stands up and addresses the council who was forbidding them to, uh, who had forbade them to speak this gospel. And, uh, you know, he makes it very clear that he has no intention of, on ceasing and desisting. He was going to bring this world. Why is it that we believe that uh, the world has to give us permission to live this life for Christ and to bring this gospel to the world? Why do we believe that? You know, we, you say we don't believe that, but we act like we do. You know, I don't care what they do anywhere in Washington or elsewhere. It's not going to restrict the growth and the movement of the church of Jesus Christ. Oh, you say, well, you don't understand. Well, I do. I think so, because Peter uh, was told, stop it. You know, uh, was it Gamaliel said, if, if this is not of God, if this is of God, we can't stop it. If, if it's not of God, it'll, it'll, it'll dissolve on its own. And then they warned them to not preach this gospel anymore, and they beat them, and they sent them on their way. And the Bible says they rejoice being counted worthy to suffer. Hey, church, we're not victims, are we? Peter was not a victim. Peter walked out of that place, and this was a different man. This was someone who was full of the Holy Ghost. And instead of whimpering and whining and hiding, this man went back, and they, he shared what had happened, and he led them in prayer. And the, and, the, and the Bible says in Acts 4.31, and when they had completed or finished praying, the place where they had assembled was shaken. How many would welcome a good shaking today? I mean, shake loose all of the, uh, the dust and the cobwebs. It's really no surprise that until Paul, Peter would be the spokesman for the new, uh, birth, newly birthed church. And let me say this, so if, you, if you're wondering what kind of, what denomination church was the first church? I'm gonna, uh, let me say this first of all. I, I am absolutely convinced that there won't be any denominational divides in heaven, Okay. So there's not going to be any tags there. I'm going to tell you that flat out. I'm 100% committed to that. And there will be no tags, no titles, no denominational, no, no, no this, no this. But let me just say this. The first church was a Pentecostal church. Come on now. Oh, well, we don't believe in that. I don't care if you believe it in anymore. When the church was born, it was a spirit-filled Pentecostal church. You cannot deny that. There is nowhere you can run to to hide from that truth that the first church was a Holy Spirit-filled church. Amen? Now, I didn't say assembly of God, no. I didn't say four square. I didn't say, uh, you know, uh, charismatic. I didn't say any of that. I said it was a Pentecostal church. They tarried in Jerusalem until the Spirit of the Lord was poured out on the day of Pentecost, and they were filled to overflowing. And the Bible says that they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, you know, you, you can call it whatever you want, but... Uh, it's a Pentecostal church. 
Aren't you glad for that? And that doesn't mean, hey, we are better than... No, that's God's design. That's not my choosing of a title. That's how God chose to birth His church. That's what He chose to do. And it didn't make sense because those who were observing, uh, those Jews who were observing from other nations that could hear them speaking in their language, in their dialect, and, and they knew that they didn't know these things. And they began to mock them because they had no other explanation. And they said... They are drunk. They were drunk with the Spirit. That's absolutely true. But, uh, you know, you think about this today. You know, Peter's the one who stood up and addressed it. I mean, this is Peter, restored, filled with the Holy Spirit. Different man now. Different man, different man. Same man, same skin, but a different spirit now was in charge of him and in his life. The clay that the Spirit transformed. Think about this. These are the things I truly love about Peter. Peter uh, was a man of impulse. You say, you love that? Well, I do. I, I, I kind of do. It just needs to be directed. You know, sometimes we're so worried somebody's going to step out of line. You know, I, I had a, an elder pastor uh, mentor who said to me, sometimes we're so worried about wildfire that we have no fire. We feel like it's our job to run and put everything out before it takes off. I want to just say to you today that, you know, if it's God, we, don't, we dare not try to put it out. And how many know God doesn't need to meet with you before church or I and ask for your permission? Peter was an impulsive guy, the guy who spoke from his emotions at times. His emotions sometimes were misguided and inappropriately drove his words and his behavior. And he's not alone. How many here have the same issue with your tongue? How many of you say something at least one day, one time a day that you know you ought not to say? That's because we still have this battle, and only through God's grace and help can we fix it. Because if you don't think you have those, then you pretty much have claimed that your speech is infallible. And I got a word for that, but I'm not going to use it. But no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. See, uh, Peter was impulsive. He said things sometimes uh, just because his emotions got so... It would be so great for the church to be emotional. We're so worried that the emotions are going to get out of control. I would rather see an emotional church full of the Holy Spirit who wasn't worried about getting out of line. You say, that's terrible. You want people to... No. Because as long as you're always thinking, God, I don't want to do the wrong thing. I don't want to say the wrong thing. How many know God can grow you when you, take, when you don't get it quite right? Because I can tell you how I know that. Because it's true in your life and mine. Every day. How many know God is gracious to you in spite of your mistakes? I mean, I've had people come to me and speak words to me, and I knew that they were from God. And I've had people speak words to me, and I shut it off two seconds into it because I knew it wasn't from the Lord. I've had some people say some things uh, that really I remember, uh, I, care, I, I remember them, and, and uh, I can tell you this, that um, I, I, uh, I, that doesn't mean to me that I'm not going to listen to what God says. 
I'm not shutting it down. I, I want to hear from the Lord. I'm, God gives us the ability to discern truth from error, right? He gives, gives you a witness within your heart, that Holy Spirit witness. How many have that in you, that discernment? You know, if everybody says, I want the gift of discernment, I, want, I, I really truly believe that's the one gift that everyone should have. And you know how you get it? You read the Word and you pray and you meditate on, on God and you spend time with His sweet Spirit. It's not about being any more spiritual. I'm no more spiritual than anybody else, and I'm not claiming to be. I just think sometimes uh, we live like Peter prior to Pentecost rather than Peter following Pentecost. His ignorance is manifest in some of the things that he says and does. And, you know, he overstates his commitment to follow the Lord. Here's another one in Matthew 26. He says, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never stumble. How many know, and I've told parents this over the years in different churches I've pastored, uh, because I've learned from experience, uh, don't ever say, my kid would never. I want to tell you. You are full of baloney. And it might not even be Oscar Mayer. It could just be cheap stuff. Because, you know, we, it never is a big word. And Peter says, I will never, I will never. And I believe he meant that. I believe he felt that at that moment. I will never fail you. Have you ever promised something to the Lord and you didn't follow through on it? Oh, every time there's a, a revival, you know, people think the revival is what happens in the building. No. Revival is what spills out into the streets. It's what goes home with you. It goes to the workplace. It's what goes to the schools. It might be ignited here, but it goes out the doors. And it, revival, the evidence of revival, isn't measured by what goes on under this roof because it can't be contained here if it's real revival. He means well, but he doesn't have a clue. Have you ever said something and you really didn't have a clue? Anybody beside me? Uh, I've done that a few hundred times. Meant well does not always mean rooted in truth. Peter says this. You know, remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, Luke chapter 9? He says, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And it says here, not knowing what he said. In other words, he didn't know what he was talking about. And sometimes he meant well, but he didn't, it doesn't align with God's purposes. He had a temper. You know, how many here have ever had a temper issue? Anybody? I mean, come on, we can't all be nice. I mean, somebody had to have a temper. He has a temper with an appetite for someone's head. And if he can't get that, he'll settle for his ear. You got to understand, I believe Peter was swinging for the park. You don't swing a sword at a man's head and say, you know, I only really want to trim his ear. I mean, he was there to kill that man. He was going to take his head off. But somehow he, you know, fell short and only got the ear. His behavior warranted a warning from the Lord, right? Uh, you know, when you think about it, the contrast between God and our appreciation uh, uh, of who... Um, who, what we are to do in that unnamed, uh, unguarded situation that sometimes comes upon us, how we respond is, 
is indicative of our need for growth. Our rage and our impulse only sees a target rather than an individual. And that's what Simon saw. For John 18.10, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Uh, Matthew 26.52 says, but Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by it. You see this common thread? You know, when Jesus said, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men, they left their nets and they went. You know, Peter, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's ready to respond. He tried to shut the Lord down when he didn't care for the message. His love for the uncrucified, bloodless Christ was to him the Christ he wanted to know. He didn't want to know the beaten, tortured, and crucified Christ. Uh, and that was not the one he had fixed his, uh, his commitment to. It didn't fit, fit the context of his natural expectations. And so Jesus says the Son of Man must suffer in Mark 8, 30 through 33. That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And three days rise again. He spoke the word openly. Then Peter took him aside and, and began to rebuke him. And, he, and it says, but when he turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You see, Peter's impulsive. He speaks. And, and it's out of a love for Jesus. It was a love for the bloodless, uncrucified Jesus. That's who he wanted to hold on to. He didn't realize what Jesus was really there to do. And I don't believe that Jesus was calling Peter Satan. But he knew that Satan was behind the statement that was being uttered. And he would use this to try to undermine Christ's mission. You know, and, and we received again that caution to never, to saying never. You know, uh, the old nature is, not, is capable of a lot of things. How many know the old nature is capable of a lot of things? That old imp, that flesh nature that rises up in us. And don't say you don't struggle with it. Paul acknowledged the struggle with it. And only through Christ is it defeated, right? And he, he says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't know, I shouldn't do. I find myself doing, oh, wretched man, whom should deliver me from the body of this death? And he realizes that that deliverance is found in Christ alone. The old nature is capable of a lot of things. Don't tell the Lord never when he seeks to introduce you to something you can't see in the natural. And I'll give you another example. Acts 10, Peter, when he was on the roof, remember? And he has the, the vision of the, of the sheet and the, and the animals that are left out. And, and the voice says, arise, kill and eat. And Peter says, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. It's very interesting that it was shortly thereafter, and that we know he was speaking of the uh, Gentiles. It was shortly thereafter that Peter was preaching uh, to the Gentiles. Almost done. Washing of his feet, you know, remember that one? Jesus is pouring the he pours, has water uh, put in the basin, and he begins to wash the feet, and Jesus said, You shall never... Remember, he's used that word three times now. Never wash my feet. And then Jesus says, we know if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. You know. And then Peter says, well, in that case, wash all of me. And Jesus says, if I've washed you, you're clean. 
You don't have no need for all of that. And so he desires to do what Jesus did in the case of Peter. And I, I really get sick of hearing people focus on Peter's sinking. Aren't you glad that people don't focus on your shortcomings? You know, God can do great things through your life, and people will find the one thing that really makes you look like a buffoon. And in Peter's case, you know, a lot of times, well, he sunk, he took his eyes off Jesus, and he sunk. And, but I just want to say for, 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 for every person who has walked in the supernatural with God in places you've never walked or never would have even known to walk or how to walk, and you've walked with the Lord, and then you have, then you have stumbled. Aren't we? And you didn't quite, not every day is going to be walking on the water. Not every minute is going to be walking on the water. There are going to be those times when we begin to sink. God, Lord, help me, I'm drowning. And you know, but you know, understand something. He did what no one else did, right? Nobody else got out of that boat. He had a desire to walk where Jesus walked. You say, what does this have to do with prayer? What it has to do with prayer is that Peter was driven. He was hungry. He wanted to. He was impulsive. And God was going to transform this man who was driven by impulse, undirected zeal. And he was going to transform his life and make him to be an instrument of glory in his, for his glory. And that Acts, and read the book of Acts, the first half of the, the whole book, Peter is the spokesman for the church. And he is the problem, you know. And it's so uh, significant that zeal, uh, his zeal was not his strength, but it certainly was an opportunity for growth. And zeal without character is like an unguided missile, uh, a, power, a powerful weapon in the hand of a tyrant. But that's not what this was. For every negative perception drawn there is much to see in the potential and the transformation that the sweet spirit of God brought into Peter's life. Zeal and teachability go well together. How many know that? You can have zeal. If you're not teachable, there's going to be a problem. Zeal and teachability, and who is the teacher? It is the Holy Spirit of God who teaches us and tutors us and instructs us in things that we need to know as truth. Peter functioned within the confinement of his five senses prior to his baptism in the Holy Spirit. I just had written this, and I'm sure you're wondering what time. It's about 7 after 5, somewhere. It's about 7 after 11. The, the first one out of the boat, the first one to draw his sword, the first one to rebuke Jesus for speaking of the crucifixion, the first one to decline having his feet washed, the first one to declare his allegiance to the Lord no matter what might come, the first disciple who was running with John, right? They ran when they heard that the tomb was empty. Jesus wasn't there. They ran. Thomas was in better, or John was in better shape, and he outran G, uh, Peter, but when Peter got there, there, he, he went directly in. You know, there you had John kind of paused, and Peter just ran right on in. You see, that's the kind of, this guy was after something. He was after something. There was something in him that was after something, hungry for something, that he was driven by something. And this man would be transformed with, by Pentecost because he had a lot of the qualities that God wanted him to have. They just needed to be under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And it says here, the empty tomb 
uh, it says here, uh, uh, what, what might come, the first uh, disciple to bust into the empty tomb was probably at the head of the line to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, uh, to explain the baptism in the Holy Spirit to those who mock, the first one to preach the gospel in the New, New Testament Pentecostal church. He truly realized what Jesus meant when he said that I will make you to become fishers of men when the Holy Spirit had come upon him. He had been called in person by Jesus. He followed Jesus in person. He walked along where Jesus walked. And he and, and, and he and a few others slept where Jesus slept. He was personally tutored by the rabbi. He served a spiritual apprenticeship under the master. He was with the Lord as he performed the miraculous. He, he loved the Lord in first person. He was a junior partner in ministry with Jesus. He witnessed and partook of the supernatural every day for those times, for that time that he walked. He was with the word become flesh every day. He was exposed to the word which was with God and was God. He witnessed in person blind eyes being opened, bleeding stopped, demonic control cast out, the dead raised up. He walked on the water with Jesus. He helped distribute the loaves and the fish to thousands from a few to many, and he personally saw the dead raised up, the leper clean, and the lame made whole. He saw the horrific and yet inconceivable beauty of the passion of Christ. He ran to and into the empty tomb and did not know what to make of it. He saw the resurrected Christ. He touched the resurrected Christ. He in person saw the nail prints in his hands following his resurrection. He told, he was told, uh, as Christ came and as Christ ascended, he said, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. You know, here's the thing. Of all those things I just listed off to you, that would seem to be more than an adequate resume for a pastor, for a leader, to walk with Jesus, see the dead raised, see the blinded eyes, see see the Lord, and be part of distributing the fish that he multiplied and the loaves. But Jesus said, no. I want you to wait until you receive the gift of the Father. You see, he was saying you have this wonderful, rich experience of walking with me. But I want you to have something that takes you even further. Something that invades your life even deeper. Something that takes you beyond your abilities, beyond your limitations. I want you to receive the promise of the Father, which God says uh, that you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He said, you shall receive power. How many of you know the significance of the fact that Jesus didn't say, hey, you have a pretty great resume. You walked with me. You saw me call Lazarus out of the tomb. You saw a dead man raised. You saw me feed the uh, multiply things. You saw all that I did. You have you are ready, just go do it. No, he did not say that. He said, wait until you receive the promise of the Father. I guess here this morning, I guess why I'm saying all that is that this Holy Spirit thing must be pretty important. We look for a million and one reasons why we don't grow. Oh, we got to do this. We got to do that. We got to do that. I got to tell you, there's no substitute for the Holy Spirit. Come on, church. 
None. No substitute for the Holy Spirit doing what only the Holy Spirit can do. You know, I hear people say all the time, well, you know, they got certain people in the church, they think they're more spiritual than anyone else. I want to tell you, it's never about that. But it's the fact that we don't recognize and realize that we are first and foremost spirit. Come on, church. This body's going into the ground or into the furnace or wherever it goes when you're done using it. It's going into the ground and it will await a resurrection. But you know what? The part of you that's really who you are, that spirit man, spirit woman raised up in Christ, is who you were called to live. You walk not by the flesh, but by what? The spirit. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Tammy, you want to come? I know people will be relieved, and I feel like I may pass out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I could. I don't know. if it's, It could be a good thing, I guess. Peter's life and ministry were changed by his baptism in the spirits. Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost. People got saved. Church began to grow. Peter was a Holy Ghost preaching terror to the devil. Whereas Peter vehemently denied Christ, calling down curses upon himself, what he received on the day of Pentecost would give him the courage now to stand up where he once would have run away in fear and hid in the shadows painfully and with pervasive dread to see the terrible outcome. His prayer life would be bold and powerful. Acts 4, 29, 31, it says, Now, Lord, this is Peter, you know, now, Lord, look, look at their threats and grant your servants to speak your word to all, with all boldness and stretch your hand out to, to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, and when they had prayed, and when they had prayed, you hear that? And when they had prayed, it didn't say when they sat around and discussed it. They said when they had prayed. The place where they were assembled together was shaken. I don't know what that would have been like, but I, I got to think that would have been an awesome prayer meeting. The place where they were assembled was shaken. And here's the result of that. It, it wasn't because the building shook, but it's because they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spoke the word of God with boldness. The revelation given in private places would open Peter's eyes. That he would receive revelation knowledge that would change his life and grow his ministry efforts into a world beyond his limited view. The anointing of Christ would move through Peter's life. I'm going to ask you to stand. Think about this. This is what the Holy Spirit did. He, he took Peter's prayer life. And that prayer life became as much a terror to the devil as his preaching. And the anointing of God rested upon, um, anointing of Christ rested upon Peter. And Peter's commands, his prayers, his actions, his person were transformed. 
Acts 6, 3, Peter says to the lame man, he says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter was a man of declaration. He was a man of prayer, a man of vision. He became the man that God had called him when he called him to be a fisher and when he called him out of the fishing uh, market or off the off the where he was mending nets or whatever he was doing on that day when Jesus called him and he left him this is what God purposed to do in his life if you look back at where you started your walk with God and you look at where it is now and you are truly truly and I that you know that truly filled with God's Holy Spirit and you're hosting Him and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you in in the places that are deeper than maybe what you would let anybody else go. If you look at where you began and where you are now, how much has changed? How much has changed? Peter was a fisherman, a young fisherman who we see all of his issues that are just laid out for eternal display in the, in the scripture, but of greater display and with a greater witness is the man whom Peter became when he received the Holy Spirit. It's no coincidence that his prayer life went through the ceiling. It's no coincidence that his preaching became effective Not because it was him, but because it was God speaking through him. Acts 5.14, and believers were increasingly added to to the Lord. Multitudes, both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets. Think about this. They brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter, hear that, This was a man who was hiding in the shadows, right? And now the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered around from surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick and those who were tormented uh, by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Acts 9, Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put them all out and he knelt down and he prayed. Peter put them all out and he knelt down and he prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 7, But the end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Peter was not a perfect man. Even after receiving the Holy Spirit, he was not a perfect man. But he stood in the perfection of Christ. He stood in the righteousness of Christ. And he was a different man before 
than he was before Pentecost. He was different. There was no two ways about it. He was different. He was a different man. He was, he was, a, he was raised up to be the man whom God wanted him to be when he said, hey, come on, come, leave that behind and come follow after me. You see, that, bo- that young man became in just a couple of years, few years, he would become the other man. And that's what God does. That's what God does. He wants to take you from where you were to where you are walking in your identity and in the purposes that he has given you. Would you just raise your hands before the Lord here? You know, I I just ask you to do this this morning. You know, sometime soon this altar needs to get hot again. Because there can't be a fear, there can't be an apathy or an indifference toward it. You see, some people believe you don't need to have an altar service. And I'm not, unfortunately for those who believe, I'm not one of them. It can happen where you're at today, right in your seat, can happen in your car, can happen on your way home, can happen anywhere. But, you know, sometimes we just need to step out because there's somebody else in the church who's dying inside and needs the boldness to step forward. And when, it, when it's, the altars are barren, it's hard for someone to do that. Lord, I thank you this morning for the full story, the full scope of Scripture, that, Lord, you show men and women with their warts and their faults. You show, show, Lord God, what a man is and what he can become. Lord, help us to never lose sight of what we could become on the best of our days and how far that falls short of who we can be in Christ. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You're welcome in this man's life. I'm welcoming you. Come on, are you going to welcome the Holy Spirit? You say, oh, well, what if this happens or that? Forget about all that stuff. Lord, you got an invitation. Can you just give the Holy Spirit an invitation? You want to be more like the, 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 the Peter on the other side of Pentecost, on this, on the moving forward, the advancing side, the kingdom growing, Holy Spirit side of this thing. God, we want to be on the Holy Spirit side of our walk with you. Lord God, we got saved, but that wasn't all you planned to give us. You wanted to give us more of the spirit that took up residence in our hearts when we became Christians. You said, that's so good for you. I want to give you more. I want to give you more. I want to give you an increase. Come on, church. If this church is going to survive and thrive and become a lighthouse in this community, it's not going to be more programs or more niceties or more cutesy ways. It's going to be because there's a move of God here that really releases into the culture healing and deliverance and freedom and joy and peace and where believers are walking in what they claim to believe. God, it can't be just what we believe and in our heads. It's got to be what we allow to transform the way we live. God, we reach out toward you today. And Lord God, we don't want to just know it. We want to live in it. We want to live in it. We want to live in the full measure of the abundant life that Jesus spoke about. We want to live in the greater measure of what you said your followers would do. 
Lord, we give you praise. We give you glory. You know what? Uh, I, I just feel this morning, you might be here and you just need to say, God, release me. I want to be released from all, all of the inhibitions that somehow have crept in and have, have kept me back. Kept me back from going where you want me to go, doing, becoming the person you want me to be, going where you want me to go, doing what you want me to do. Lord, we've offered you sacrifices, but you said, I want obedience. You don't just want sacrifice, you want it, you want obedience. Lord, we surrender to you here today. We surrender to you here today. Lord, we surrender all of what we can. And Lord, we know that this is just what we do here. But every day, Lord, help us in our private time, in our in the car, in our home. Lord God, in any place we go to say, God, I surrender me to you so that you can do what you want to do and release what you want to release into the people I'm with for your glory. Lord, thank you. Yeah, we need more, Lord, more. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. How many are hungry and you're thirsty? Hungry and thirsty after God. Hungry and thirsty after the character of God. Lord, hungry, 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 Lord God. This is a hungry church more of you. Let's sing that song there that you're playing, Tom. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.